everyone, and welcome to episode 104 of the Retrospectors podcast, Arx Fatalis. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Sterlings. James, I, uh, I've been wanting to do this game for quite a long time. We've kind of been exploring a lot of these games that have their roots in immersive sims. We did System Shock 1. Uh, prior to this, we've done Dark Messiah of Might and Magic, which was the kind of sequel, half-sequel, that Arcane did uh, after they were unable to secure funding for a true sequel. Um, was this one that was on your radar a game that you're aware of, or uh, complete, did it completely blindside you? Uh, I was aware of its existence because we did Dark Messiah, obviously Arcane's first title here, Arx Fatalis. Um, I was never going to pick this one because I knew you just mm. would one day. Um, but, you know, I was kind of interested. We both really enjoyed Dark Messiah, so um, I didn't I don't, didn't expect to enjoy this one as much going into it based on what I was reading about it, but it's done some interesting things and I think there'll be a lot to talk about. Yeah, and I think that's going to be theme coming through strongly this episode. Whether it succeeded or failed, Arx Fatalis is a very interesting game and certainly a lot more complex than uh than the sequel or fake sequel dark messiah which was a far more polished product but also a far simpler one i mean that game feels more like just a straight action game to me mm -hmm. um compared to this which i think is going for that immersive sim thing i still don't really understand the definition of that <laughs> genre but it does feel like it fits the mold a bit more than that game did. Yes, and so I'm looking forward to talking to, to you all about it. So for those who have never listened to us before, James and I make up the Retrospectors podcast. What we do each and every three weeks is that we play through a classic or cult game of the past with the intention of reviewing it from a modern perspective. We're not here to understand these games in the context in which they are produced. We simply want to know how fun they are to play today. Sometimes that means that they're absolute trash and we regret ever playing them. Um, other times we discover that sometimes old games have been forgotten for all the wrong reasons and do stand up side by side compared to far more polished and modern products. So um, if you want to check out our entire catalogue of content, you can check out our website, which is rspodcast.net. It's got links to everything we do. Uh, as well as links to our social media stuff, our Discord server. And if you're interested in supporting the show further, we also have a Buy Me A Coffee page. So we'd love if you would drop by and check that out. So Arx Fatalis, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a bit of a basic background on the game, and then we're going to launch straight into the discussion. So Arx Fatalis is a first-person action RPG. It was first released for PC in 2002, and somewhat to my surprise later on xbox in 2003 i wouldn't think that this game would suit the xbox very well but um there we are um as we discussed earlier it was the debut title by arcane who later went on to make many impressive successful titles some of which are my favorite amongst my favorite games of all time including dark messiah might and magic dishonored and prey the world in Arcs is a world covered in ice and it has a dead sun. So it's kind of like a fantasy world, but not your typical fantasy world. All of civilization has been forced underground to survive with different races occupying different levels of the underground caves. So within this substrata, within this cave system, there are trolls, there are orcs, there are snake people, and there are, of course, humans. 
You play as an unarmed and amnesiac prisoner. You wake up in a prison cell and are only interested in surviving, at least at the start of the game. You want to get out of this prison cell, get to safety, maybe learn something about your identity. And as you do this, as you escape, you kind of get embroiled in events, as is often the case for protagonists, and you learn that an evil force is threatening the world and you may just be the key to stopping it. So that's just the basic setup for ARCS, and we're going to jump into the game in a lot of detail in just a second. But we should also discuss a little bit about how we played this. Um, James and I both played with a mod for the game called ARCS Libertatus. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, probably not. And it's a mod that fixes compatibility issues with modern machines, has bug fixes and other scripting issues. So there's no major gameplay changes, but it makes it so that you can play the game today and highly, highly recommend that if you're going to play this game, if you want to play this game, you may need to install this mod. That being said, we did have a, a, a major technical issue with this mod, James. It affected both of us, didn't we? Yeah. Are you talking about the fact that the... Uh... Mod is a virus? Mod... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the mod is a virus, a bit of a Trojan horse. Yeah, I, uh, it's quite maybe funny. Maybe not exactly, yeah. So um, this mod is perfectly fine, but your uh, computer will pick it up as a false positive. Um, both Patrick and I had this experience where our Windows Defender popped up and said it was quarantining a file. Uh, we clicked yes, and then suddenly the game wouldn't launch. However, upon undoing said quarantine the game would work again um i double checked online it's perfectly fine there are no issues with this one um just because it's a bit of a i don't know a dodgy hack to make the game a bit better you know windows doesn't like it but you know just uh, ignore that one you'll be fine yeah i had to um reinstall the mod uh three times sorry reinstall it twice install it three times total luckily all of my save data was uh, was preserved. I was panicking a bit the first time it happened, but I lost zero progress, which I'm very grateful for. Um, the only other real technical issue I had, James, like major technical issue, was there were a few times where I got like stuck on scenery, particularly on the yep. snake teleportation gates, uh, yep. and I had to reload a save because I couldn't get out of the scenery. That that happened to you as well. Uh, dozens of times I got stuck on objects all the time on this game probably twice a play session like it is very very common occurrence in this one yeah the the um physics of this game this is pre havoc physics pre source engine so the uh movement and physics in this game are not very good they're very very basic uh even like the jump is a weird jump forward with basically no verticality so there's lots of room for you to get stuck in weird places I recommend quick saving regularly, uh, and that's the best way to deal with this issue. Any other bugs for you, James? Or? Um, not really. I had a lot of objects fall through the floor, but luckily the developers included this little feature, quote-unquote, that teleports out-of-bounds objects to your feet. You even get a little message about it on your screen. Um, I actually found a few swords and weapons that I had not actually found myself, but had somehow gotten through the floor, you know, while I was playing the game. So that just kind of gave me some free loot, I guess. Um, other than that, no, not really. I had maybe one or two crashes, um, but it was mostly the getting stuck thing that was, you know, a constant annoyance. And I do think it's worth mentioning, I did have one part of the game where I couldn't make any progress. Um, I don't know. I'm still unsure if this is a bug or not. 
Um, effectively, I, I, I needed six of these tokens and I could only find five of them. And I spent like two hours going up and down this dungeon trying to find the sixth one and I couldn't. So I eventually uh, cheated and walked, put on a no clip cheat to progress. Um, it could be that I was just stupid and I missed something, but I was so thorough in exploring that entire dungeon that I'm fairly confident I just somehow soft locked myself in this crypt. But we'll never know. Luckily, the uh, no clip cheat is a pretty good way to solve any scripting issues that you may run into. So I was grateful for the existence of that. What a cheater. Yeah, what a dirty cheater. Yeah, I'm not a real what gamer a like you, James. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah so that's about it so i think we're ready to get into the discussion james yeah let's do it so i guess we want to talk about the the world itself and probably the way the map is constructed because i think those two bits kind of inform the rest of the game to some degree i completely agree i i think that when they made this game the first thing they did was construct the world construct the maps uh before the rpg stuff was even even brought into the equation because yeah. It really feels like a tremendous amount of effort has gone into creating this interconnected, interlocking world that spans over eight levels. To give you an idea, the closest thing we've done to this game level design-wise is System Shock 1. And that's no surprise, really. This game was heavily inspired by um, Ultima Underworld, as was System Shock. So the structure of the game world is eight levels that are layered on top of one another that are connected to one another with staircases and secret passages galore uh, that combine, that join these different levels in interesting ways. Yeah, and I would say that to me, the level design kind of is more reminiscent of a first-person dungeon crawler than, you know, anything else, particularly with this setting where it's set underground. You tend to have all of these, you know, cave systems and very narrow hallways and little passages through stone um it's very maze-like labyrinthine and uh there's very very little open space in this game outside of the you know the major towns it's a very much a like tangle of hallways um connecting it's like a big dungeon that has smaller dungeons inside of it yeah in some ways it's um not that far removed from something like etrian odyssey right where it's just a bunch of corridors it's not quite that simplistic, but definitely um, corridory and maze-like are the words I'd use. I will say that I don't, in terms of um, how big these levels are, they're not really so big that you ever get lost, though. This isn't a maze in the sense that, you know, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get... I disagree. Oh, did you get lost while playing this game, James? Uh, I looked up a walkthrough of where to go, like eight ten times like, okay i was constantly unsure where to go what, what what i mean by that is i don't think i i think that there certainly is um room to get lost but i would say that's more to do with the lack of clarity with the objectives as opposed to the level design itself like if someone had given me detailed instructions of where i need to go i would have been able to follow them i just would more say that the levels aren't so big that you're in the level somewhere and you don't know how to get out they're they're actually yeah, yeah. quite dense when you think about the uh the size of these levels yeah i see what you mean no no that's right i never felt like i couldn't get out from where i was it was more like i constantly didn't know where i needed to go <laughs> yes and i think that that's definitely something worth mentioning with this game 
uh you are given some very vague directions sometimes sometimes you're given no directions and it's up to you to speak to another npc to get the vague directions james do you think this is actually a bad thing because doesn't this push you towards exploring um the game world instead of basically being told exactly where to go I think there's a good middle ground to be found, and I don't think that this game quite hits it. Um, I think that the game they're trying to make uh, is one that rewards exploration and trying to figure out where to go on your own. Um, I just think that there's often... One thing that I really found frustrating with the way the levels, the overall levels were constructed is that when you're moving through the world, um, as you're entering a new area or room for the first time, where you stand in the room is filling out your mini-map. So it like kind of marks in where walls are and that kind of thing. Auto map, yeah. Yep. I think that the radius which of the autofill is much too small in this game. Um, you can walk through these narrow as hell corridors and sometimes it won't draw the wall there because... It's so small. So what you end up having, if you don't like shove your body against every single wall, like rub it up against the wall to draw the map in, you have this like overworld map that has like 50 little gaps in it, you know, and only one of them is probably a hallway that you haven't gone down. See, it's funny, um, James, because that is exactly what I did because of that potential issue. Also, just like, I just liked having the map filled out so I, I knew for certain that there was nothing that way. Yeah. So so I would rub against the wall nonstop. And I know that that's not um singing the praises of the game, but as long as you're prepared to do that, you can get around the issue of not knowing it. where to go. Yeah, I just I just think if the radius around your character was a bit bigger, mm. then it would have made the exploration you know, a little less painful, I think. And this is coming from someone who's happy to draw their own maps for games like this. I just think if you're going to rely on pure auto map instead of giving the player the tools to draw their own, like it needs to do the job properly, especially in places like the mushroom forest where the walls were often surrounded by little houses or scenery that you couldn't walk through. That was annoying. Like, my character couldn't physically get close enough the wall for it to be drawn, so I kind of just had to, like, run around and check every single one and make a note of it in my head that that's actually a wall, not a gap. Yeah, we kind um, of alluded it to, to it before, but the problem isn't that the game um, expects you to explore because, you know, the, the difference between games of this ilk uh this and system shock and so on and so forth is that there are no objective markets so yep. the game is open for you to explore and figure out where you need to go where i think this game maybe fails is in not providing clear directions to the player um either that, that could be recorded in a journal if you spoke to the king and the king said okay uh what you need to do is you need to go down to level five and you need to find the secret passageway that is past, you know, that is somewhere near where the entrance to the snake hideout, then at least you would have a clear goal and guide as to where you would be heading. And it wouldn't undermine the exploration because you'd still need to explore to reach level five, explore to reach the snake hideout, explore to figure out where this secret passageway is. But you'd mm. have a rough idea and goal of where you needed to go instead of just 
going to places you'd already been um, with the hope of discovering a passageway where there actually isn't a passageway, wasting hours wandering around in circles. It wasn't always too vague. I think at the first half of the game, it was mostly fine. The map's much smaller than as well. Like the number yeah. of places you can actually go is small enough. That it's and the NPCs that you can talk to. Yeah, near the end when there are, you know, it feels like there's a few dozen places you have yet to explore. It gets very confusing. And, you know, there is the kind of people who would be happy to get lost in this world and just... You know, maybe eventually they'll come across, you know, the bit they need for the story. And I think that's fine, too. It's just maybe when it asks you to find the two separate rings or near the end when it asks you to find the ice cave, which ended up being like a door in the tutorial area that I just had not thought to go back to. That kind of, yeah, there could have been a couple of more you know, if you get stuck, you talk to NPCs and one of them will, you know, point you in the right direction. There could be a little more, you know, to help guide the player. But it's not like, it's not truly terrible. I just think it could be vastly improved with a few small tweaks. And the other thing is that, like, the truth of playing this game is that we do have access to walkthroughs. So if you do wander around yeah. hopelessly for an hour, you do what I did and you look up a walkthrough to point you towards the next thing you need to do. Um, my problem was actually right at the end of the game, once I had uh, done most of what I needed to do, I had everything I needed to do to confront the big bad, and I didn't know where the big bad was, and I didn't know how yep. to find him. So I wandered around speaking to everyone, and no one would tell me anything as to where I needed to go, until I eventually um, looked up a walkthrough which told me what level I needed to be on, and I was able to figure it out from there. Yeah, the only thing that, like, pointed me in the right direction was that on the map there was this word like it said Ilsid camp or something uh, on the map right. um that was probably the only thing that pointed me in the right direction uh yeah that thing is not in a obvious spot at all i um i will say though like for while I would critique the i guess sparsity of information in general i think that the world and the exploration of the world and the feeling you get when you step into a new area and don't know what lies in front of you is some of the strongest parts of this game like i really enjoyed every single time i found a new level or a new staircase or even a new secret passageway and i got to carefully slowly step through it to see what was there see what loot was there what people were to find all that kind of stuff um did you enjoy that as well james yeah, I think to me, exploration was good for the most part. Near the end of the game, it fell off a bit of a cliff for me. Um, and I think part of the problem there is that the game's loot tables are very small. Mm -hmm. um, near the start of the game, I found a ring that gave me plus 10% magic damage, right? By the end of the game, I had found that exact ring like six to eight times, and I even found a copy in like the one of the final two dungeons. So I didn't really feel like I was finding new things like when I was exploring. There's like a small handful of items that you find that can be sold for money and have no other use, like gold bracelets, that kind of thing. You know, I found like 30 or 40 of those things, you know, uh, it... I hit this point maybe halfway through to three quarters through the game where I just didn't feel like I was finding anything new like for the exploration. And if the 
exploration wasn't as enjoyable as it was like intrinsically i think you know the whole thing would have been a bit of a wash for me but luckily for the game they did a really good job um of making all of the secrets um actually like fun and engaging on their own to find particularly in the dungeons which i think we'll talk about later mm. i think the secret finding was excellent yeah it's funny that that stuff you say about the limited loot tables we leveled the exact same criticism against dark messiah if you remember mm. had the exact same issue where at the two-third to three-quarters points you'd basically reached max gear level and then you start seeing duplicates of stuff that you've already found i i just want to share one of my favorite secrets uh which is a i don't know if you found this but with some incredibly janky platforming you can find a back passage into the uh into the snake uh camp yes uh, yeah. yeah and i found that before i found the snake camp itself and it kind that whole area kind of freaked me out. Like I didn't know what was going on because I I hadn't found that area yet. And if you open the door, every snake in that snake hideout attacks you at once. So there's yes. like ten on you at once. And finding that with you know getting into their their um their storage room was actually a really cool exploration moment. And I uh, I loved it. It felt like I was doing something a bit naughty. Yeah, I found that. I thought that was cool as well. I really liked all of this. How the secrets kind of they were they were probably obvious to you if you were looking for them but they didn't feel like out of place or anything like they didn't feel like they were immersive right like they were part of the world mm. like you'd be in the crypt um and you you know you'd need a key for this chest and it would be on somebody inside this tomb or something you know there wasn't any weird like video game specific mechanic you needed to do to solve these puzzles um, you can get, you know, magic find on your character and it would kind of point you in the direction of secrets sometimes. Um, you know, and talking to, you know, some NPCs can open up options that maybe uh, you wouldn't have had before. I think one of my favorites of a secret or maybe like a gameplay element that led to um, a secret or something, some specific interaction was there was this quest you can do um so in so in this world uh humans goblins trolls dwarves and snake people kind of coexist and the goblins um they're not very bright but they're brighter than the trolls who are massive and kind of stupid like even stupider um but the goblins are using the trolls to mine for gems because the goblins understand economics basically mm. And the trolls do not, so they're happy to do it for them. You can do this quest where you basically teach the trolls about capitalism. <laughs> and then they realize that they're being used by the goblins and they just like straight up refuse to work, which ends up triggering the goblins from to hate you and not let you into their kingdom anymore, even <laughs> if you've, you know, got gained entrance. So that kind of thing was really funny. Um and there's just kind of all this like natural emergent, you know, secret stuff throughout the game, which, you know, was a bit of a highlight for me, I think. Yeah. And I just enjoyed, I guess, the process when you move through the world, paying attention to the world. Um, a lot of the time, cool items will be hiding underneath other items. So you need to pick and lift up that rock or pick up that cushion on the bed and you'll find a key or a note that alludes to some other secret. Uh, there's lots of secret buttons all over the world and everything. One of my favorite things, this is one of my favorite things about Deus Ex, uh, 
in the world of Deus Ex, there's all of these hidey holes and secrets if you're paying attention and looking around. And while the general, I guess, design of, um, of arcs is mostly just caverns, there's still plenty of different ways that they've hidden things, whether it's lights that are secretly switches or um, indents in the world or what, what, whatever it happens to be. As you're moving through the world, if you're looking around, paying careful attention to everything, you can find some really fun secrets. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that aspect of the world design. Um, there was one thing I really wanted to touch on and maybe criticize about the world design, mm -hmm. and that is kind of... I don't think there was enough attention to detail in marrying up the world design with the narrative like and the plot and the premise of the setting. So basically the sun is dead, right? And humanity and all the other races have retreated underground. Um, I found the general visual direction to not be very good in getting all of this across. There was one detail that I thought they did well, which was around the place there are all these little air vents that, you know, make a wind sound when you're near them that kind of explain how people can breathe underground. Mm. But stuff like the design of the human kingdom just felt like they took a generic medieval fantasy setting and put it underground like there's a castle underground they're a wearing castle. regular a big castle they're wearing knight armor straight out of you know the middle ages there's no you know these they don't have clothing or architecture that matches their new situation um there's wooden stuff everywhere like how do trees exist without the sun um and why are torches like if wood is you can't make it anymore like why are we just burning it for fun like how do they make heat you know to keep everyone alive that mm. kind of thing why they talk about this a lot in the intro but the the races are constantly at war with each other and killing them so then why is the goblin kingdom directly next to the troll kingdom like a meter away from it and then why are these two kingdoms like 10 meters from the human kingdom like there is no distance between these they're just like you know they're fighting but you don't really see any of this fighting too much um all of that kind of like world building detail that i kind of wanted them to elaborate on i never really saw any of that in this game um, which was a bit of a shame because this concept of humanity being stuck underground is one that i'm actually quite fond of right like we did Archimedean Dynasty years ago, and that's about humanity being under the sea because, you know, nuclear war has rendered the surface unlivable. And that game did quite a bit in its manual to explain, like, what has happened and what has changed for humanity. This game feels like they teleported existing humanity underground, and that was it. Yeah, honestly, that's that's a great criticism. It's one that I completely agree with. Uh... That although the level design came first, the world building, I, I guess, as a consequence of um, what would happen to these races and how they'd adapt did not really enter the equation at all. Even uh, Archimedean Dynasty, of course, is the best example, but even something like Police Noughts is another example, which dedicates a lot of time to exploring and explaining how humans would adapt to living um, to living on a space station, essentially, about how it stretch bones and all the different furnitures they would have to use and all this how they would eat and live um how they would survive uh this doesn't have any of that this is a fantasy dungeon 
um you may as well have just gone into a fantasy dungeon with the races kind of chilling close to one another um the other point that you mentioned about the game not really having the sense of scale to support the idea of kingdoms is also one i agreed with there's like 40 people in this kingdom but it's got this elaborate castle and all of these like an absurd number of uh you know places for the royalty of the household to live and it never really feels like this society has the capacity to support something like a monarchy of this scale and this is obviously they didn't have the budget to render full-size towns but something that modern fantasy rpgs the witcher even something like skyrim have done better is matching the sense of scale to the grandeur of the castles and these 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 larger uh pieces of architecture here it feels all a bit uh small like it, it doesn't feel like there's very many people living underground like the entire order of snakes is maybe eight snakes and that's the, their entire population yeah, yeah and i can kind of get behind it being cramped but i guess you know something like metro 2033 did cramped better to me mm. um and obviously that's a much newer game compared to this but it just honestly the main thing that irked me was like the designs of the knights and you know the town and the villages it did not seem like anything was you know set up for underground like there was no i figured that most of the buildings would just be dug into the wall um with some beds inside them but no they're just these big wooden medieval <laughs> houses like in the middle of a cave it's very <laughs> very jarring like <laughs> very immersion breaking honestly yeah um, um honestly it sounds like we may be segmenting a bit into story here james we, we could go straight into that or we could have a music break first yeah, let's do that. So I actually asked Pat if he could pick both of the songs for this fortnight. Um, I was listening through through the soundtrack today and I just could not pick one that I liked. I went back and I had a look at some other, you know, similar soundtracks to maybe see if I was just being a bit negative today. But no, I, stuff like Thief 2, I'm like, this soundtrack is great. Whereas I think Arx Fatalis soundtrack is very flat. The songs are very... You know, it's ambient, you know, noise, and that kind of fits the mood and the tone that the game is going for. But the problem is within this ambient noise, it's very samey for the entire length of the song. There aren't any like discordant notes or, you know, bits of ambient wind or chittering from rats or that kind of thing to kind of break it up. It's just kind of like a monotone note or sound for the majority of it and it really did not do much for me at all to be honest i'm not quite as down on it as you are although i do acknowledge some of what you're saying the i guess repetitive nature of it is something that sticks out but yeah. this first song i've picked in particular which is the um the one for the human kingdom is honestly to me it's a fantastic track it it feel it sounds very ethereal and while playing it the game that came to mind was actually pathologic one soundtrack because it's got this yeah. this weird um weird windpipe aspects to it uh i i found this piece of music in particular um it invaded my brain and i think that in the future when i think of arx fatalis it's going to be this song that sticks to my mind uh so yeah I, I do acknowledge a lot of what you're saying, James, but I do think that a few of these tracks are very unique sounding, even if they're not very complicated. And they very 
memorably remind me of the areas I was in when I was visiting them. Well, I think that that's fair. I think that we've covered a lot of ambient noise on this show. Um, and to me, like, uh, this is one of the, like, definitely on the lower end of the spectrum when it comes to ambient soundtracks. Um, I, I know what you mean. Are you talking about the, the town itself? Yeah, the or town. The outpost? When, when you're inside the town. Right, okay. Yeah. So, um, so buckle in and you can be the judge. This is the Arx Fatalis uh, Kingdom. That was the kingdom track i am struggling to rem like remember the song without listening to it right now but i do remember that that and the outpost were a bit different to you know all of the caves uh which honestly the only one that i thought was super fitting was the one in the dwarven area where it had the fire crackling constantly mm. but even that one it didn't do enough for me um so let's go to the story so i'm interested to hear your perspective on this one because i think that this game story is trying to do a few interesting things however i think the writer's inexperience really comes through a lot during the game um there was a lot of uh really poor grammar throughout the writing and i think some of the plot points felt very forced to me so for example at some point, you you know you get all of these artifacts to defeat the big bad, um, the big evil you know god thing that's trying to invade the world, 
Um, and at some point, a you are asked to, to go and get the ultimate weapon in order to defeat it. How do you get the ultimate weapon? Well, it's quite easy. The NPC tells you. You go to the library and you ask for the book, How to Make the Ultimate Weapon. <laughs> what a what a novel. <laughs> like to me, stuff like that was very common throughout the uh, the experience, where it just felt like. Did anybody proofread how silly this sounds? Like, is this intentionally a joke? But it all felt very earnest to me, um, like it wasn't a joke most of the time. I don't know. It just, it felt very amateurish a lot of the time, I think. I think the story in this game is actual garbage, and I strongly okay. dislike it. I, I think that from the get-go, it starts off with you being, am and am you know, having amnesia. That's already, it's already on shaky ground. Then it turns. I guess we should say spoilers at this point, but we are going to spoil the story. So warning: if you really, if you're really invested in the story of this game, then I advise you don't listen further. But it's nothing special. It's it's generic tripe. So I really want to be worried. It turns out you're the chosen one. There is this little intrigue thing where you're where it's actually a sci-fi thing. You're not a chosen one in the sense that angels have chosen you. You're a chosen one in the sense that a sci-fi being has chosen you, but it doesn't really make a difference. I don't difference. think it's quite a chosen one. It's more like you are, it's your job. Like, this is just your day job. Sure, yeah. You've, you've been, I guess, for the purpose of confronting the big bad, you are the only one who can confront him. That's, yes. that's kind of what I'm getting at. You, you are the one who has to win because you are the only one who can. And so... And the evil guy in this game, Akbar, is so evil. Like he 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 he's gonna come to Earth using human sacrifice, and he wants to see the destruction of all things. There is this little hint that he's actually going to restore the human son, but it's never really fully explored in an interesting way. It's just I think that's the only one of the only few plot points that I actually liked. It's that the head of the cultists was. Like, in his diary, he acknowledged, yes, I know that Akbar is evil, but he's the only one that can bring the sun back, and if we don't bring the sun back, humanity is doomed. I thought that that was a reasonable th story thread for them to follow, but it's like, that's just one paragraph of text in this diary, and it's never really explored any further than that, but... That's like, that's something I can get behind. Mm -hmm. I could understand if that's the villain's motivation is that ultimately he's trying to save humanity, even though, you know, it's a bit of a coin flip as to whether they can survive Akbar when he gets, you know, when he gets into Bean. That I can, I can kind of buy into that but, if they do it well. But they didn't explore it. It's like, was, did Akbar, why would Akbar bring the sun back? Like, could he? Yes, but would he? Was there any reason for him to? I don't think so. He was just an evil being of destruction who wanted to kill and destroy everything, right? Well, I guess if he brings the sun back, humanity will survive for longer and he'll have more food and sustenance. Maybe, like, yeah. I, that, that's potentially, like something you could go down. It, it would have been even more interesting if Akbar himself wanted to bring the sun back so that he could rule over humanity as a benevolent you know benevolent dictator yeah. but well, the general feeling i got though was with these guys was that these cultists doing human sacrifice and everything was that they were just bad dudes yeah basically and you get and you never get really any info into the mooks or like i don't know what to say i think 
I liked that the main character was like an adult who, you know, had some connection to like the Noden and the stuff, like the meta stuff happening on the like the sci-fi plane. Mm-hmm. I felt like all of that interesting stuff was just like, you know, wiped away by the fact that you have amnesia and the main character never really. They weren't like a self-insert, but they also didn't have, it didn't feel like they had any motivation other than to do their mission or any feelings regarding like they, the other people They in literally the town. do whatever they're told by the first person that tells them. It's the, it's the cave story protagonist problem. He kind of goes to a place, someone's like, you should do this. He's like, I should do this okay. because it might help me discover my identity. And then when it's clear where the evil is, he's like, okay, I'm going to go stop the evil. And that's literally every interaction he has with every single person. It doesn't help that the voice acting for the main, for the protagonist is pretty terrible. It's very flat without any kind of emotion in it whatsoever. It sounds like he doesn't give a shit. And so I was struggling to give a shit as well. The the voice acting in general is not great. I think the snake ladies. The snakes are great. Yeah, they, they were the best characters. Out, yeah. yeah, but for, on the for the whole, the voice acting is quite bad, and I think the protagonist is a special kind of bad. And you know, you don't actually need an insanely good voice actor for the things that he's doing. He's just being a hero, and I think that you can see examples of that with um, good examples of that with Mass Effect. Both um, both Shep and Fem Shep, I think, have both have they're basically just action hero people who are good at their jobs. But they sound commanding, respected. You can see why people look at them as leaders. This guy sounds like he can't speak English properly, um, and he can't. <laughs> well, it, it's the intonation; it's all wrong. It, it's like yeah. the rhythm of his sentences is disrupted. So you never really get the idea that he has any charisma to him whatsoever. Yeah, and then there's the king's advisor dude, who I in my head thought of as Mister Exposition Man, <laughs> who just happened to like know exactly what was happening, like what Akbar's plan was, and how like, to stop it, <laughs> and how to stop it. He's yeah. like, "How do you know all of this stuff?" And it's like, "No, it's just uh, you know, for the sake of telling the player what to do." Uh, there's very little environmental storytelling I found in this game outside of maybe the Dwarven Mines. Um, much of what you have to do is either an NPC tells you what to do or an NPC tells you to read a book which tells you what to do. Yeah, um, and this kind of goes back a bit to the world-building stuff we were talking about, honestly, because it feels like this game is kind of crumbling under its world-building to some degree, because the actual story that they're trying to tell and the interactions they're trying to have, it feels really small-scale in a whole bunch of ways, doesn't it? Like, it feels like this is a very isolated, small journey. Uh, but the stakes of this world-ending threat that's going to, you know, literally destroy all life or reignite the sun feels like it exists far beyond the capacity of these characters and the roles that they exist in. Yeah. it's. I think there's an interesting idea here, like the underground thing and the way, you know, with the sun and trying to get it back and the interactions between the kingdoms. I think this could be done much better. I have like no issues with the premise. Um, it's just all in the execution, which I think is massively lacking. Um, Can I ask, I, how did you feel about this whole side story with the king, the princess, and the snake people? Because uh, to be honest, James, 
I, I did not I care. I don't understand. I, I don't know how it fits into the larger plot. It doesn't. It, it doesn't. Yeah. It's, it, it's its own completely separate thing. But that's... There are different endings in the game, and depending what you do with this side quest determines your ending. And you can't progress through the game without you being stopped in your tracks and you kind of having a divvy to this side plot. It is bizarre. It's like they haven't integrated it properly into the main story thread or something. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, I didn't think that this thing was a bigger... I didn't think that this side story was as big of a deal as the game seemed to think it was. Mm. Like, uh, I just, yeah, I didn't really care, to be honest. Like, I was like, why is this cutscene happening suddenly near the end of the game? Yeah, like, like, you get to the entrance of the, like, the final dungeon, and then you get pulled back to the swamp to have a cutscene. Very, I'm just glad it didn't make me walk all the way there manually. That was, that was what I was happy about <laughs> when that happened. Um... Yeah, it's it's not very good. The plot's not great. Um, the only thing that I like maybe liked was the plots, like the the quest story stuff that involved the goblins and the trolls. Like they're completely yeah, stupid. They're completely stupid. So you know, there's a bit of humor there. I think some of the humor's quite good. Um, it's very silly when it is, but I, I especially liked that thing with the the trolls discovering capitalism. It was really funny. And, and honestly, that um, whole interaction you have with them, where the trolls are on strike, and you need to figure out a way to get the trolls off strike to get this um the troll idol. Yeah, the troll yeah. idol. So you had to go to the goblin camp to uh, get it back. That whole sequence was fantastic. Great. Yeah, and I feel like the storytelling there um, was really good as well. Um, I just felt like whenever it tried to go bigger or tried to get me emotionally invested in these characters, I was not interested at all. So I was not in this game for the story. I would put the story like below System Shock 1, for example. Um, I, yeah, wasn't wasn't a big fan, and I wish that they'd really done more as you kind of said earlier to lean into this concept of them being forced underground because they could have created a very unique kind of environment that i would have been a lot more interested in that's interesting i think i got more enjoyment out of the story beats that i did get enjoyment out of like the goblin stuff than mm. anything i got out of remember i hated that game so i keep forgetting very... that I'm very biased in this way. Like, I loathe that game entirely. I did not enjoy any of the plot in that game. Mm. So the fact that the goblin stuff was enjoyable, like, already puts it ahead for me. All right, fair um, enough. So, so basically, like, whenever there was small side quests that were enjoyable, uh, and, like, the traders, if you don't kill all the goblin, like, there's the two goblin camps that are trying to, like, trick you into killing the other set of goblins because they don't like each other. That kind of stuff was fun. When the game's not trying to be serious, I think it's fine. Yes. I think I think outside of that it's a bit bland, honestly. Um I did like the actually I did like the visual design near the end of the Temple of Akbar. It got very metal very quickly. Mm. Um which you all, know, all I could think is like, where did they find the time to build this temple? Like who's building yeah. this temple? Where are the engineers? I I've I've like <laughs> killed every cultist in this game and there's like twenty of them. Yeah. Where are they all coming but, from? <laughs> um, the story bit in the dwarf area, how did you feel about that? Oh, actually, like from a story perspective, I thought it was fantastic. It's, it's, yeah. it's the classic dwarf story. They, uh, they dig too deep and they uncover something that maybe they shouldn't have uncovered. 
And uh, yeah, things have gone sideways very badly. So instead of a nice uh, pristine uh, forge, you instead get something more akin to the Mines of Moria. I thought that was good. I enjoyed that bit. I thought that the storytelling there was fine. Um, the aftermath, you could see it everywhere. You read all the um, journals and, of the... Yeah, the and, uh, yeah and the, the, the puzzle to kill the monster um and all of that kind of stuff i thought that was fun yeah and i i so to be fair when i say i hate this story it's more like the major story the beats plot. the main yeah. plot i i feel like that all fell completely flat when you're actually in the world doing these smaller story beats um it it's pretty good like uh you, you feel invested in what you're doing and it's logical what you're doing and it's fun to figure out the 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 mini puzzles that abound the world that are stopping you from progressing the story. It's just, yeah, the broader story is not very good. Playing this game reminded me a lot more of playing Elder Scrolls than it did of playing something like Thief or Dishonored. Mm. Um, mostly because, like, it had the same thing where the main plot was garbage and all the side stuff was enjoyable. Uh, the combat was terrible, but the secret finding and exploring the world was quite fun. Um, it had horribly unbalanced like stats in combat, which we'll get to in a second. Um, you know, uh, honestly, playing Morrowind was definitely the close. Like, it felt like the closest comparison to this game. So, and you know, it's a bit strange for me. I I would find it hard to recommend someone play this over playing something like Morrowind instead. That game does like. I feel like it does everything this game's trying to do much better. Maybe, maybe one day we'll, we we will play Morrowind Gems because I'm yet to play I hope that so. game. Yeah, I'm a bit yeah. of a you know started with Oblivion, so uh, I can't wait till I you know swing a sword at a mud crab fifty times and do no damage to it. I'm looking forward to it. That was my experience with this game to begin with, actually, because <laughs> um, when I created my character, I dumped all of my points into magic and defense. And you don't get an offensive magic spell for a little while, you know, like the yeah the first ninety minutes or something. So you have this sword, and it takes like thirty hits to kill a rat. It was great. We we uh, we should uh, we should just talk about gameplay now. I think James, like how this game actually plays, uh, like crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so before we do, there's a few things I guess to talk about. The first is that the magic system in this game is very it's different. Decent. Well, it's, it's also very unique. It's, it's, I've never played a game with a magic system quite like this. We've done things that are kind of similar, like Eternal in Eternal Darkness. Darkness. Yeah. yeah. But, but I guess the way it's uh, integrated into an open world ARPG is obviously very different to the more linear Eternal Darkness. And then we can talk about the joys of melee combat. Um, I, I think we should just talk about, uh, I think we should just talk about the magic first, James. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. So, Magic in this game is interesting because in order to cast a spell, you must draw the runes on screen. So uh, most spells take two to three different runes. So you press control uh, to bring up the magic screen and that locks your, it, it unlocks your mouse from your viewing angle and you get to click and drag the mouse to draw a shape and then let go and the character will say the name of the room out loud. Uh, and then you do three, and that lets you cast like a fireball, for example. So you can you can precast your spells and store up to three. So then when you press the one, two, or three button, it'll instantly use that spell. So that leads to a lot of precasting your spells between combat. 
Um, and then in longer engagements with enemies that have more health, there's a lot of like running behind pillars in order to buy time to draw the spells. Um, a lot of the runes actually look quite similar to each other. So if I, I myself found this issue where I was trying to cast Fireball, but would just screw up the second rune because it looks kind of like um, it's like a straight line, then straight down. It's like a horizontal line, then a vertical line, then a horizontal line. But if you do a diagonal line in the middle, that's actually a different rune um, and it'll screw the spell up. So I got much better at this as the game went on. Mm. But And I was okay with that because, you know, you know, casting magic's a bit difficult maybe. But I guess the real problem for me was that Fireball just one-hit everything and there's like 30 spells that I didn't really use during the whole game. <laughs> yeah, so I guess what you... what What's kind of... There are a few things that are unusual about this, but one of the most unusual is that spells are not tied to like a a skill tree like typically in rpgs like this you will start off with weak versions of spells then as you level up you'll get more powerful spells this game doesn't really work that way your spells are not gated by your level they're more gated by uh whether you know the spell or not because you if you haven't discovered the runes to a spell, it won't appear in your spell book, so you won't know how to cast it. Less relevant for a second playthrough, because you can still cast these spells without the runes, I believe. It's just that they're limited, like you you won't know what they are until you until you do that. So as you move through the world, you will discover spells by discovering runes in the world. So your your spell book is tied intrinsically to exploration and progression not your character intrinsically growing stronger. Um, the other aspect of it is that a lot of these spells that you're getting aren't combat spells. There are utility spells and crowd control spells and traversal spells. Um, as James said, unfortunately, from a combat perspective, uh, it's almost always going to be more effective to just throw a fireball at an enemy than any of the other combat options but i do think it was really good how as you explored and found these runes you got a bunch of uh utility spells along the way yeah but there's some really good utility spells right like there's levitate which lets you cross gaps telekinesis extremely telekinesis which lets you get objects from a distance my favorite was speed um, i use that speed. a lot a lot yeah there's bless that ups your stats in general um stuff like douse flame create trap um i use disarm trap like once yeah, I, I used raise reveal defense trap, disarm trap. lower defense um i didn't really use many of these like the incinerates summoning i found was way too much effort for how little effectiveness you got there's, out of it like, there's reveal uh which shows you illusions there's dispel field which obviously gets rid of stuff that's blocking you from moving forward. yeah and all of that stuff is kind of environmental like the enemies don't really require you to use specific spells to fight them i found like when a fireball against... is going to do the job anyway yeah, like there's no enemies that have this barrier around them that you have to dispel or you're screwed or there's an enemy that's on fire and you need to douse it before you can fight them. There's nothing like that. It's just a dude with a sword. And near the end of the game, they introduce this enemy that are very quick 
to the point where I basically couldn't fight any of them if I had to like draw a spell on the spot, um, which always meant I was just going to precast three fireballs every single time. Mm. Um, and they died in two fireballs, so it wasn't yeah. too bad. But yeah, I, I guess Did... I guess what I'm saying is, James, is that I do agree with you that from a combat perspective, the magic system is a failure. Um, Definitely, I don't even think it's utilized to its full potential in the puzzles either, other than literally levitate. Um, yeah, I guess. I, I guess I, I found maybe a bit more use out of it than you did. I was using reveal trap and dispel trap and dispel field and reveal a lot more. Maybe yeah. my, maybe my, because uh, I didn't see many secrets, so maybe my stat uh, in that was a lot lower than yours. So that stuff wasn't as obvious to me. Um, but I guess I, I enjoyed, you know, I'd see an item up on a ledge, I could cast telekinesis and grab the item. Um, like, I, I felt like I was getting getting a decent amount out of these spells as utility utility spells. But even if they weren't, like, crazy useful, I was still getting something out of them, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. I just didn't go far enough for me, I guess. Like, the direction was there. But the, the um, combat, I completely agree. And in fact, Eternal Darkness had those monsters where you needed to you need to like dispel their protection field before yep. you could attack them with conventional means. Yeah, and that game did this in a combat sense way, way better. better. Yeah, which and I, I wasn't expecting to going into this game going to be praising Eternal Darkness, but there you are. For the melee combat, I I don't know how it's just bad, right? It's just like really it's just bad. terrible. Yeah, there's no blocking. Um, yeah, th this is, this was really surprising to me because I was like googling how do I block because I was like there are shields in this game you can equip shields yeah yeah but it's there just, is um, there is no buff. blocking uh, insane it, it's insane to think that they made this game without blocking on the shields like it's no more blocking it's no more, dodging it's more it's primitive just... than like does Morrowind have blocking yes. yeah it's well I mean it's more primitive than Morrowind's combat system and it's definitely more primitive than the sequels so as a first person action RPG um from a melee combat perspective it's very By far primitive. the worst I've ever played yeah I think so so it's basically just your spacing um you can swing your you sword can charge and your attack. charge your attacks and you can charge them in four different directions that have slightly different hitboxes i think and i don't know do you know if there's location damage in this game like if you hit someone in the head does it do more damage i could never figure I out if that was the case i don't think so i never i think it might be more obvious if you used like a bow or something hmm. but i only ever really used my sword um I think there are. I think the weapons do have like lengths. Like if you have a sword as opposed to the little blacksmith's hammer, um, then you're kind of better off. And if you have a two-hander, you have more reach. Mm. But it really does just come down to spacing. And even near the end of the game, the enemies are like lightning quick, so they get up to you and there's no stick spacing to be had. Yeah, but the enemies uh, that aren't lightning quick, you just backpedal while casting spells. Uh, yeah, or you you can also kind of use your sword, uh, like going for a swing and then backpedal again. But there's there's really nothing to it. There's nothing interesting about it. Um, and it's held back further by the fact that pretty much every single engagement you have in this game is a one on one. One of the problems with a lot of the spells, like for example, there's a spell called Confuse, which I assume when you cast it would cause that person to attack their ally that's like just never relevant you're just not in a situation where you're trying to fight three enemies at once 
Yeah, and uh, there's a page dedicated to like AOE spells. Like that was never useful. Yeah, the mass um, paralyze. It's like, when am I ever going to need to cast mass paralyze? Like paralyze one guy, sure. Mass paralyze. There's only ever one guy to begin with. The only like it's weird. The most engaging enemy to fight was like rats because they actually <laughs> tried to dodge out of your swing. They did, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, nothing else tried to dodge your attacks, and I can only assume that's why, like, 20 hours into this game, you were still fighting little rats on the floor uh, more than any other enemy. Can I ask you, James, to rewind for a second, what do you think of the, um, I guess, the RPG structure of this game, not having a skill tree, uh, having skills tied to, I guess, your, the, your spells tied to runes instead of... Um, instead of you know level putting points into skills like something in diablo 2 do you think this is a system that's a good fit for the kind of game that arx fatalis wants to be i liked the sense of runes like to me this game is you know like this 80s DD sort of setting like it's trying to be a little strange and mystical at times i found that the weird rune system kind of fit you know what they were going for um in terms of the rpg systems I think that it's horribly unbalanced in the favor of magic, which is probably a good thing, actually, because the magic is more, way more fun than the melee combat. So, you know, it's probably a good thing that the game incentivizes you to spend all your points in magic. It does mean it feels a bit like they should have just removed these stat systems and just made it that you were a wizard. Like, I almost and, feel the same way, yeah. Yeah, because I feel like this game would be miserable if you put all your points into strength. Uh, also, the game lies. I was so mad about this, right? So in the stat screen, it says that you've got four primary stats. It's like strength, magic, uh, defense, and there's a fourth one. What's the other one? Is it like health? constitution something like that um the defense stat says it governs like what heavy armor you can equip uh but actually when you go to equip heavy armor it says it's limited by your strength so luckily uh, um luckily you can get around that just by casting a bless on yourself i figured this out if you cast bless it raises all your stats you can equip whatever you want and then when the spell ends you're still equipping them Right, I never tried that. Yeah. I figured it would just unequip you. Nah, it's, it's an old school trick. You, you can do this in Diablo 1 as well. Um, yeah, I wasn't as mad as the game lying to me. I didn't notice that, but I can understand why that would piss you off, James. It just felt like the other stats didn't do much, especially the secondary stats, of which there's like 12. By the end of the game, I was absolutely convinced that the best way to play this game is just dump every single point into intelligence and then yep. like a 80 20 split between magic damage and mana regen yep because your spells the fireball spell which is a pretty basic spell kills everything in one hit so if you have a high enough mag you just want to cast more fireballs that's that's how yep. you get through 90 percent of this game um i had a little bit of strength at the start so i could hit people with a sword but yeah it gets to a point after about level two or three where you're like yeah i was like i feel like an idiot if i level anything other than these two stats it's like crazy to me because the other stats like stuff like magic find and all of that stuff you didn't really need it at all to get through the game like lock picking 
Like, maybe I'd be more interested in opening locked chests if the loot tables weren't as tiny. Like, uh, the game never made me feel like I was missing out by not opening locked chests. Um, yeah, well, for me, and... it hurt a lot because I love opening locked chests. But yeah, towards the end of the game, past about the halfway point, I'm like, what even is there to find that's going to yeah. improve my character? Turns out there's and a couple then, of unique stuff at the end of dungeons, but uh, outside of that, you don't need the lockpicking skill to get those unique items. No, and stealth, like the levels are not set up for it. No. Like I did, I was looking, like I didn't put points into it, but I was looking to try and see how, like if I had it, what I would miss. And there was like, there was one stealth section in the game where you had to follow these cultists my stealth stat was like four it was like red in my stats page and i was able to follow them without being seen no problems so yeah it just seems like a dead stat to me yeah so if you're gonna play this game play as a mage dump all your points into magic i think that as a combat mage game this game is terrible i think that when you view the system as a whole, though, with exploration being tied into runes and then it's like fine, all the utility yeah. spells, it presents a unique enough system that I actually got some enjoyment out of it. Like, I enjoyed being yeah. a mage in the world of Arx Fatalis, but I think if you would try to do anything else with it, uh, if you, it just can't sustain it. So it's a very you can create a very sort of narrow character, and it's fun to do so as long as you're happy to create that kind of character. So, James, I reckon we should have a music break and then maybe spend some time talking about the dungeons of this game. Yeah, because those bits are actually good. So uh, give us your second bit of, bit of music, Pat. So second piece of music is Order of Erderium. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly once again, but this is the snake temple, uh, snake hideout, snake base, whatever you want to call it, uh, music. And I found this to be very... Uh, eerie to listen to particularly since the first time i encountered it was when i broke into that base so and you know you find this snake base which is kind of it looks a lot more high tech than anything else you've encountered so far uh just sitting in a cave and it was kind of yeah it was a bit creepy to walk down it because i wasn't sure exactly what it is i had discovered and uh, this is the second piece of music that really stood out to me and that would take me back to this area the moment I heard it at any point.
Alrighty, so that was Order of Adernium. Let's go and talk about the individual dungeons and the puzzle design, because despite all of our negatives, I actually think that this bit of the game was by far the most enjoyable, and, you know, on its own was very enjoyable. Arx Fatalis is secretly a puzzle game. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, there's a whole lot of combat in there, but this game as a puzzle adventure game is where it really comes into its own. Um, the exploration is good, but the actual more constrained, tight puzzle solving that you do inside its dungeons are where it's at its best. Uh, so there are a few dungeons in the game, some of them more complex than others, and I think it's probably best if we leave some of them spoiler-free. We should maybe just talk about, like, the I guess the Hall of Illusions, the Snake Temple, because that's pretty much pure puzzles, and to me it's the most enjoyable out of all of them. Yeah, it felt like an escape room to me. I don't know if you got that vibe. Yeah. It, like, it was just a series of strange puzzles that tasked you with uh, using your magic and your like logical thinking to get through it. And this was like by far the best part of the game was this section, mainly because I don't think there was like one bit of combat at the end in the whole thing. And then it was just pure exploration and solving, basically. Yeah, so, um, so to give an example of a couple of the puzzles that are in here, so we're going to spoil them just for the sake of this review, so skip ahead five to ten minutes if you don't want to be spoiled. But, for example, you were, you were thrown into a room that had a vision orb at the top of a staircase and six little cells on the side, each of which had a lever inside of it. When you look at the vision orb, it showed you a shot of one of the levels, but you weren't sure, there was no way to know which one that it was looking at. I mean, because all of those six rooms were identical. So you clearly, or the implication is you need to press these switches in a certain order. How do you figure out what order to put these switches in? Well, the answer is you drop items out of your inventory in front of each of the switches that look significantly different. And then you look through the orb and you're like, oh, my bronze key is in front of this switch, so I'll press this one. Or my yellow powder is in front of this switch, so it's that one. Um, and I thought that was really cool. I, I felt really pretty liked smart. that puzzle. I, I felt yeah. like a genius. I'm like, ah, I know what to do. I felt less smart when I realized that like, in my inventory, these two keys were different colors, but the models were the same. So I was like uh, pressing the wrong switch. And using a that... key, critical error. Like, I don't know what you're yeah. thinking. I use different colored potions and a fern. <laughs> and a fern. Yeah. And all the different plants and stupid things that you can collect. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was fun. Uh, the one where... There was like all of these curtains everywhere and behind one of them was a lever and then you had to like use your illusion magic to reveal which of the switches was real. There was the one with the weird mirror that you had to walk through. Um, and on the do... other side of the mirror you got the, I guess, you got the indication where the secret door was on the yeah. real side of the mirror. Just stuff like that throughout the entire thing. And I think that... This is where the game really comes into its own because it's using the, I guess, immersive sim first person structure. You know, you've got item, you've got all these items in your inventory and you can attack and you can cast spells that do different things. And it's like, okay, we're going to put some obstacles in your path, which test your observation skills um, and your logical analysis skills of using certain items in your inventory. And it feels like, I think the key here is that the puzzles flow naturalistically from the tool set that you've been using throughout the game already. 
it's not like you're playing a different game when you're doing these puzzle elements these puzzle elements are already integrated so well the tool set that you're using is already integrated so well into everything you've been doing up to that point i liked the crypt as well i think the crypt was the great puzzle... apart from the bit where i had to cheat but, you got stuck yeah. and you had to cheat yeah. oh, what a casual <laughs> <laughs> um the i think the thing to note about the dungeons is that there's a fair amount of ba backtracking or like having to go into every room to get all the information and then solve the puzzle um lots of the puzzles are very naturally uh integrated with the dungeon like in the crypt you know you have to open all the tombs and find the notes or the keys that are on the corpses in order to you know open this door that opens this door and then opens this one it's a lot of fun to go through um, and then you have to figure out like, oh, these zombies, like you need to kill them and then stake them so they don't come back to life. And there's a note on a dead adventurer who's like a professional at robbing tombs who, who explains that this is what you need to do. Um, so all the information is there. I think one of my favorites was uh, when you're going to the, when you're in the goblin camp, you need to basically put wine inside an apple pie and give it to slide it under the drawer of the king so he gets sick and runs out and you know you need to do that because there's a note saying that wine makes him sick and you can observe mm -hmm. the cook taking apple pies from the kitchen to the king and it's just you just all can logically figure it out by paying attention it's 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 quite well designed honestly it was funny because with that note there's like two bowls of poison um, and I tried the poison at first just to see. If oh, it would really? Work. It it doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even think doesn't of do doing anything. that. The, go the goblins, yeah, the goblins just drinks the poison. He's fine. Immune to poison, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. yeah. Wine, however. Yeah, it, it would have been funnier if he dropped dead on the other side and that you couldn't progress the quest anymore, wouldn't it? Very immersive. <laughs> That's uh, not the case, no. But yeah, the dungeons are the best part. I was very happy to play through all of them, you know, in one sitting and keep playing the whole time. To me, that's the best part of this game, and the worst parts of this game are, you know, the bits where you're in between dungeons, listening to the story that's not very good, or, like, wondering where to go. Or um, fighting things. Or fighting things, and there's a lot of fighting things. Um, but, you know, you know, those bits are actually really good, so, you know, this game has that going for it. Yeah, it, it's like it's like all the effort has been put into the world and the i guess how the inventory functions and how all of these different elements tie together i feel like where this game has failed is that it hasn't really given you challenges to to match your tool set basically yeah well it has from a puzzle perspective but it hasn't from a combat perspective no and even then, I think uh, most lots of the good puzzle solving doesn't involve too much of your skill set. Like you could get through this game without magic if you used a couple of scrolls. But and I think like that's a problem, right? Because the game's really good at puzzles, but when you have to design the world to cater for multiple builds, you then have to really dilute, you know, the puzzles and their solutions because. You know, this warrior might not have dispel magic field, so we can't introduce an enemy that has a magic field because 
we just kind of hamstring half the players. Mm. And I, um, it's funny, you can imagine that a version of this game released today, if it really leaned more heavily into the puzzles, there would be a lot more spells related to movement. Like you can imagine there'd be a portal gun kind of puzzle or there'd be a <laughs> spell. Well, I mean, why not? Or there'd be, yeah. this game doesn't really have much in the way of verticality and deliberately so. Like the way it gates a lot of your progress is that you can't actually go to platforms higher than you because your jump is so straightforward. There would be a spell which let you levitate up in the air, but levitate only lets you travel over flat spaces. And the world would maybe be a lot more vertically integrated instead of eight flat levels sitting on top of one another. So I agree that there's definitely a version of this game that leans way more heavily into your ability to traverse a dangerous environment but instead they chose to make a lot of the dangers be enemies that try to kill you and they're just less interesting than, you know, environmental hazards. Mm. It's a bit unfortunate. Um, yeah, there should have been more more hallways more that puzzles. were covered in fire. It's like, oh, okay, I have to use Dow's Flames here in order to get through. But you basically never have to use that spell once. Um have you got anything more to add, James? I feel like we're headed towards our final impressions. No, that's about all I had left. Yeah, I guess the only other thing to mention, which is a severe negative for me, is the fucking key ring. Ha! So That was great. So this game <laughs> has keys exist as items in your inventory. And the keys do not have descriptions on them apart from little metal key or small metal key or small gold key things like that and some of them do have different sprites some of them have identical sprites and it's very hard to keep in mind with what key what opens what door and whether you were never sure if a key would alt would you know open multiple doors or chests or just the one some of these keys you can't find a use for them at first and you're like well maybe it becomes useful later and so I had about, oh, I don't know, 25 keys scattered around my inventory before um, James brought to my attention that there is a thing called a keychain in this game. Yeah, and you can put the keys on the keyring, and if you use the keyring on a door, it will use the right key out of the, like, 50 that are on the ring. So, And where is this keychain, James? It's um, at a shop in the main town. It's in a random merchant's inventory that you might glance over like i did if you're skimming through yeah you know, the 12 different it, chests i didn't find it to like three quarters of the way through the game so i had like so like i had like two dozen keys like chilling in my inventory and i just had to guess which one was the right one but it was uh you know a bit not very good. yeah because it will get to the stage where you have gotten five keys from a dungeon and you'll get to a door and you're like i don't know which one it is so you use every single key on that door it's it's just so funny that when they made this game when they made this game they decided that they were going to have this key ring on sale at the shop instead of it just being a thing it wasn't like yes you start with a keychain. it's like no you need to find this magical key ring it's a it's a critical critical item to your progress, and we're just going to throw it in a random shop. Just bizarre, very annoying. Get get the key ring. If you're playing this game, that's the first thing you should buy. Yeah. Okay, but apart from that, James, I am I am prepared to move on to final impressions. All right. Well, I'll begin then. Um, I don't think that Arx Fatalis is a particularly good game. I think that there are elements such as the puzzle solving and the dungeon design and the interconnected like layout of the world that are actually really good. 
Um, but everything kind of feels very amateurish in a lot of ways, particularly the writing, the combat, um, and, you know, uh, the quest design, you know, and the leading the player kind of aspect to it. I think that the world building is very underbaked. And, you know, it's it's a bit rough because I can really tell that this game was made by a bunch of passionate developers that were trying to make, you know, their... Uh, their own sequel to Ultima Underworld that they were really passionate about. But ultimately, like, this game wasn't too fun to go through other than the two or three dungeons that were quite fun. So I would only really recommend this game to people who, you know, are either fans of, like, those older games or really, probably really like immersive sim-style games. And I don't even think then that it's going to be enough for a lot of you. So um, this one's a no from me. If somebody told me they really liked this game, I would understand it. Like the puzzle design is really good. It is trying to do some interesting things. And I see that the game will have a lot of appeal for people who kind of like that, you know, 80s, 90s, D&D style fantasy settings. Um, but I just, it doesn't do enough for me to enjoy it as a whole. Like I found myself like I binged this game in two days because I realized I really did not enjoy playing it um, and I just wanted to get it out of the way so I could do like literally anything else with my time. Um, and, you know, and during those two days, there were things that I enjoyed, but it, it's ultimately not very good, unfortunately. See, I think it's funny because I don't even necessarily disagree with a lot of what you're saying. It's just that I have derived so much more pleasure from the benefits than I have from the negatives of this game. So Arx Fatalis is a recommend for me. I think that the combat in this game is terrible. I think the story is terrible. But I think that the exploration, looking for secrets, um, the way the puzzles are integrated into the core gameplay, and just generally existing in this world and moving around it, uh, is something that I enjoyed a lot. And I think that this is something... It's something I enjoy about Deus Ex. It's something I enjoy about Thief. It's something, uh, the number one thing I enjoy about these immersive sims is being in these large, interesting spaces and exploring them for secrets and goodies and to see what there is to see. So I think Arc 6 Fatalis for me succeeds as a video game um, in spite of its flaws. But like with James, I would understand if people didn't like this game and didn't want to persevere because a lot of the core gameplay is not very good and there aren't many emotional hooks storytelling wise to keep you going either you really have to be invested in the exploration of the world and its dungeons to make this a worthwhile gaming experience but they're good i mean whether it's the dwarven mine or the crypt or the goblin cave or the shrines you know the um the evil people shrine like they're all really fun to move through and the feeling of moving to a new level in this in the in the macro dungeon and just seeing what's there and and having to explore and see what's on the horizon is something that i always treasured so yeah, Arxfatalis gets a recommend for me, but um, you have to be able to see value in these things that I see value in to overlook its significant flaws. Yeah, I can understand that, like I said. I think, um, to me, the exploration was fun, but like when there's there isn't a good reward for it, and I'm not like 
rewarded with interesting world building either like if you like exploration something like dark souls <laughs> is <laughs> there it fun is. because is because there's like a lot of world building stuff you can find and a lot of cool weapons you can find you know it feels like you know in this game it's just kind of enjoyable on its own and that's it's it's not enough for me other games just do that better i think yeah and that's fair enough and it's funny i think we have kind of limit uh, landed on a similar place it's just yeah. that we value different things in different games. things yeah because yeah. i didn't need that uh intrinsic reward by with getting better loot as much as you did it was funny i was still getting pleasure from finding a secret secret that had an emerald in it even when i was drowning in thousands tens of thousands of gold pieces i think the bit that really stuck out to me was in the dwarven mines in that room where you find the mithril hmm. um there is this like ledge you can get to near a ladder by jumping off the ladder and then like doing this weird duck to get through the room hmm. and after doing all of that you find a single emerald which at that point is like completely worthless <laughs> to you and i was like are you kidding me <laughs> Yeah, was but it was way too much effort but, for this. But the platforming was so much fun that it was its own reward, right, James? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Very uh, high skill platforming, better than Celeste. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you so much to everyone for listening to us talk all about Arx Fatalis, uh, James and I, the Retrospectors podcast. You can find all of our content on our website, which is rspodcast.net. It has links to all 104 of our episodes, a bunch of articles that James and I have written, um, and it's got links to all of our social media stuff, the most important of which is our Discord server. This is where we do all of our socialization with our community. We take game suggestions. We shit talk games. Um, someone, much to my chagrin, suggested Sims 2 as a game that we could be doing. So whatever you do, do not give any further reinforcement to this suggestion. I'm not sure if I could cope <laughs> with doing Sims 2 as a game, but, you know, I guess we'll see, right, James? Sometime later in the year, yeah. <laughs> um, and once again, uh, if you would like to support us further, if you enjoy this content, we do have a Buy Me A Coffee page where you can support us either in installments or just one-off payments. And we would be appreciative of any support that you can give us. So with uh, Arx Fatalis done and dusted, it is time for the dial to spin back to you, James. What are we going to be playing over the next three weeks? Um, I decided that it has been far too long since we took a listener suggestion, and these are the suggestions have been piling up one after the other. We get a lot of people giving us these games that they really want us to play, um, and so I thought, I can't really think of one that I want to play, so let's do one of these. We had a few new listeners recently, um, and we had a suggestion for a game that I think a few other people had suggested a few years ago, but we never got around to it. So I thought we would do that one and hit a few in one go. Uh, we will do uh, another point-and-click adventure, which we haven't done in no. quite a while, have we? <laughs> well, I mean, we did we did Blade Runner, which is kind of a point-and-click adventure, albeit a very different kind of point-and-click adventure. But the last true one we did was Siberia, which I think was over 50 episodes ago. Yeah, and uh, one of our listeners said they could not believe that that was the first point-and-click adventure we did, even though we actually kind of liked that game. Um, so one of our newer users, Amir, um, has asked us to do Gabriel Knight Sins of the Fathers, uh, which is, you know, uh, developed by Sierra um, in 93, actually. 
um, and has apparently got a new port and I think we'll be playing different versions to figure out which one's the best. Basically, I am not the biggest fan of point and click adventure games as it has been fairly well documented. But um, when I heard that Tim Curry, Mark Hamill and uh, Worf from Star Trek all did voice acting for this game, all of a sudden I was more on board. So, I mean, I think it may be worth suffering through this one just for that voice acting. So I think that I'll be playing the original with the, um, which probably is a worse gameplay experience, but whatever. Whereas we, you were thinking about doing the uh, the remaster, right, James? Yeah, and then we can kind of give our, you know, our impressions on that one. So I'm kind of interested in this one because it seems like it's a lot different to um, many of the, it's a lot different to many of the like kind of like LucasArts and maybe Humongous games that I played as a kid. Um, so I'm kind of on board with this one a bit more than I was for Blade Runner, I think. I'm open to trying it, but you know, oh my god, if the puzzles are bad, <laughs> be prepared, <laughs> Gabriel Knight. Nothing shall hold you back from my wrath. <laughs> Yeah, as long as the story's better than Arx Vitalis, I think. <laughs> yeah, not a high bar to clear. Well, thank no. you everyone for listening, and uh, we'll see you in three weeks. See you guys.